We are continuing this series, What? Awestruck by Glory. We are reflecting on the familiar stories of Christmas. What's our objective here? Our objective is to recover some of our astonishment. These are such familiar stories, they are amazing and beautiful, and we can miss the wonder. So we are praying and hoping that uh, last weekend, Pastor Dick Foth opened the series up. How many of you were here last weekend? That's great. How many of you are here this weekend? That's helpful. We're going to continue this, and we're thinking about impossible to possible. Luke chapter 1. This episode is known as the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and gave her remarkable news. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And as a granddad, um, I've loved over the years going to those nativity plays that the kids put on at school. You know what I'm talking about, and uh, there's a true story told of one of those nativity plays. Um, It was back in the UK, and it was Joseph, Mary, and the innkeeper in one particular scene. Now, to the purists here, uh, and actually to be faithful to the Bible, the Bible doesn't actually talk about an inn or an innkeeper. In fact, the Greek word literally means house, so there's no inn in the Bible, grateful to my friend and retired missionary Doug Clark is in this service, who's written a great book about Christmas, digging into um, some of the backstory. There is no inn in the story, but just imagine the scene at this nativity play. And, and Joseph, who's five, is standing there with Mary, who's six, and the innkeeper, who's six. And Joseph says, hello, my name is Joseph, and this is my wife, Mary, and she is heavy with child. Do you have any room in your inn? And the innkeeper froze. Couldn't remember his lines. Rabbit in the headlights. Everyone's tensed. The parents are nervous. And he couldn't think of what to say. So good old Joseph decided to give it another go. Hello, (laughs) innkeeper. My name is Joseph. And this is my wife, Mary, and she is heavy with child. Do you have any room in your inn? Innkeeper's like... At the side of the stage, one of the teacher 
one of the teachers whispers, make it up, make it up, ad lib. And the innkeeper, with a big smile, said, yeah, we got plenty of room, come on in. (laughs) Approximately nine months before the Bethlehem part of the story, there's the Nazareth part, when the angel appears to Mary, and the impossible becomes possible. And when I say impossible, I mean impossible because she's a a virgin. So, conception is humanly impossible. The X chromosome comes from Mary. The Y chromosome has to come from God, but it's it's bigger than that. I, I want us to try and get our heads around this, and we won't be able to, because you see, Jesus becomes an embryo, and then a fetus, And we need to understand that Jesus did not begin his existence at that moment. Jesus is the eternal one. John chapter 1 tells us that everything was made that was made was made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He's always been. He didn't begin life at that moment. He is the eternal agent of creation. And so suddenly, we've got this truth of this magnificent God taking the longest journey in the history of journeys from the throne of heaven to a speck in the virgin's womb, and the impossible becomes possible. So as we look at this familiar story, asking God to give us open eyes and warmed hearts, what can we learn? First of all this, Let's know that the impossible is for ordinary people. The impossible is for ordinary people. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. I don't know how you're doing with your Christmas card stuff and gift shopping. I love gift shopping. Yesterday on the way to church, we wanted to send a parcel back to England, only about that big didn't weigh very much, and we stopped by this postage place. I I, I won't mention it, that would be rude to FedEx, and we stopped by this place, (laughs) and uh, it's not a very, it's not a very heavy parcel, and Kay ran in with it, she came out, she said, we're not sending the parcel. I said, why? She said, 250 bucks. What? What? Yeah, exactly. Crazy. I said, let's just go to the post office. They'll get it by Easter, but they'll just have to make do. (laughs) If you work for the post office, I love you, bless you. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Christmas cards, I I love them, but I don't like the fact that often they pretty the story up. You know, you see the nativity scene, and you've got Mary looking serene and demurred, dressed in blue. She's wearing a big goldfish bowl. Okay halo thing. You're going, aren't you being a bit irreverent here? No, the Bible doesn't say she was fluorescent or glowed in the dark. And Joseph's never there, is he, on the Christmas card? He's out the back fixing a coffee table or something. (laughs) And you've got all these grinning cows and donkeys. (laughs) And you've got this Chanel number five smelling hay. And, And and Jesus is sitting up already. He's only 20 minutes old, but he's sitting up going, hey, thanks for coming. You know, this is great. 
It wasn't like that. It was not Chanel. It was Corral number five. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. It was ordinary. She was very young, Mary. Two sources outside of the Bible. One says she was 12. Another says she was 14. That's shocking to us in that culture. You could be betrothed, engaged to be married at as young as 12. She was probably, possibly illiterate. Her knowledge of the scriptures being limited to what she heard in the synagogue. We don't know. She would have had a very ordinary life. And, and Nazareth, I've, I've been there. I don't even know what the word podunk town means. Well, it's kind of podunk. It's, it's, it's backwater. When you go to Israel, some of you have been with us. Everything's so close. You think the greatest drama in human history was played out in this small area of real estate. And he didn't have a good reputation. In John chapter 1, Nathaniel talks about Nazareth. He says, can anything good come from there? Ordinary. And some of us in this room watching online, you feel so ordinary. Can this whole God thing be for you? The person who's watching online right now who says, I could never be a Christian, I'm not good enough. That's the point. And the reality, the beautiful reality is that the Christian message is not for people who are fluorescent, who glow. Us. The impossible is for ordinary people. And at the end of this service, there will be an opportunity for you to become a Christian. During this weekend, we've been watching people make that decision. It's wonderful. It's going to happen again. I'm telling you, it's going to happen again right in this place. Later. My heart is beating a little faster at the thought of that. Secondly, miracles begin with grace. Miracles begin with grace. Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one, woman. The Lord is with you. Please notice something. The first piece of news that Gabriel gave Mary was not about the birth of Jesus. It was about grace, mercy, God being with her. You see, that's the foundation of Christianity. If we never know what grace is, we'll never experience the supernatural. But so many Christians live as shame addicts, addicted to feeling bad. In fact, I've been to a few churches where they, they seem to get together every week to feel bad collectively. I'm like, what? I'm not talking about guilt. Guilt can be good. Mark Twain said it's good to feel guilty when you are. Without guilt, we would be sociopaths. I'm not talking about guilt, which is a targeted emotion that says, you did this wrong, I did this wrong. I'm talking about shame, which is a smothering blanket that says, you are wrong, you are trash, you are rejected. That's what shame does. Chuck Swindoll says, most folks are better acquainted with their shame than they are with their God. Michelangelo, one of the greatest artists of all time, was socially inept, insecure, loss of self-doubt, crises of confidence. And one day he was painting the magnificent creation day on the scaffolding, 
up there on the scaffolding in the Sistine Chapel. And he had a pretty rough day. Things weren't going well. And he came down from the scaffolding and he opened his journal and he, he wrote these words, I am not a painter. I think he was wrong there. But here's what we do. We name ourselves after our worst days, our greatest regrets, the episodes that prompt shame. And God wants us to know grace. I've shared this story before, but years ago I was preaching at a church in California. They said, preach on whatever you want. I didn't have to have a PowerPoint or anything. I showed up that night with Kay and I decided to preach a message on the right hand of God's favor. In the Bible, consistently in Hebrew culture, the right hand is the place of favor. The right hand. And so where is Jesus seated right now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, the place of favor. So I'm going to preach this message, and no one knows what I'm going to preach about apart from Kay, and she didn't tell anybody, and I'm standing on the singing the song on the front row, and it's two minutes before I'm about to get up and speak, and Pastor Linda, one of the pastoral team, headed over towards me. And I was somewhat nervous because she stopped right in front of me, and I thought, ooh, what's going on? Just about to speak, Linda, what, 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 what do you need? She had a bottle of anointing oil in her hand. We use that to anoint people to pray for the sick. It represents, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. She doesn't know what I'm about to speak on. And she looked at me and she said, Jeff, will you do me a favor? Would you hold out your right hand? She didn't say a word, but she poured oil on my right hand and walked off. And I got up 60 seconds later to preach on the right hand of God's favor with my own right hand dripping with oil. If you don't believe in God, you need to start. It was as if God was crying out to the church that day and maybe to me, I love you, I am for you. Why not accept the good news? For that sense of shame. Holy Spirit, let that sink in. Let it dig in beneath the surface, the hard crust of our shame with which we have become so very familiar. We live with it every day. I've not shared this in any of the other services. I, I, the picture in my mind is of someone walking around with a bag of stinking trash over their shoulder. And every morning they go and they pick it up again and they haul it over their shoulder. And it's not the way. Thirdly, confusion is part of the journey. Confusion is part of the journey. In most Bible translations, including what I read, Gabriel says, greetings, but that's a pretty bad translation. The word, a better word, would be rejoice. The word actually means rejoice, be joyful. Joy is a theme in Luke's gospel. And later on, Mary would say these words. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's making a response to the command of the angel. But she didn't immediately get there. Because here's how she initially responded, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. 
One of the challenges about Christmas is you have to be happy. It is required. It's the season. And I love it. I love the season. But some of us are not dreaming of a snowy white Christmas. Some are facing a grey Christmas. One survey prior to COVID, I'm getting to hate that word, prior to COVID, said that 45% of respondents dreaded the festive season. Now, what's this, is, what's this about? Am I, is this, you know, the Grinch comes to Timberline? What's, what's going on? No, for some it's grey. And as a pastor, I need to acknowledge that with you. For those who have very little money, the marketing bombardment of Christmas can feel excluding. We can feel alone at Christmas. There can be the empty seat at the table because of grief and loss. Memories of previous Christmases gone by. Let me just be personal for a moment. I don't want your sympathy. I just want you to know that I'm in it. Up until five days ago, every, every Christmas since our first grandson was born, we've shared with our kids and grandkids, either here or back in the UK. Up until five days ago, they were coming here. We were looking forward to it. We've been planning and thinking and COVID back in the UK means it's all gone. It's all cancelled. I don't want your sympathy. I just want you to know as one of your pastors that I'm kind of in the journey. And frankly, uh, that's not nice, but it is nothing compared to what some families here at Timberline have been going through with all of the crisis that we've had. And then, of course, there can be the pressures of the family gathering, because we're all supposed to like each other. And then there's Uncle Fred. We think he might have a demon. I mean, you know, he burps at the table. I mean, what are we going to do? For Christians, it can feel a bit weird. Does anyone ever feel like it's a global birthday party, but everyone forgot who's the birthday boy was? And for those for whom we prayed, devastated by tornado after tornado in a 250-mile swathe of destruction, it will be grey. Why am I talking about this? You say, well, this is not very festive. I just want us to be real. And I want us to look beyond the horizon of our own experiences and think about that gentleman three houses down from us who lives alone and maybe show up with a nice mug filled with candy and, and say, Merry Christmas. Because for some, it's grey. And, and by the way, this is not me angling for an invitation because we got the ramen noodles. I mean, we're good. I mean, seriously, we are good, but, yeah. Number four, questions are building blocks of faith. Questions are building blocks of faith. Mary asked the angel, how can, but how can this happen? Here's what happens when angels show up. There's a, there's a consistent principle in the Bible. Let me show you what normally happens. Angel appears. Human being screams loud enough to be heard on Jupiter. Angel says, don't worry, it's okay. Human being is nervous about what comes next. Angel offers good news. Human being freaks out. That's the principle. Whether it's Gideon in the Old Testament, or Zechariah in the New, or Sarah in the Old Testament, that's the principle. And here's Mary, she says, how can this, how can this happen? 
the highly favoured one becomes the greatly troubled one. Well, I don't blame her. This is big news. What's Joseph going to say? They're engaged. She's a virgin. Hi, honey. How's your day? That's good. 27 coffee tables. How's your day? Well, I'm not... What was, what was that? I, I, I'm, uh, I'm pregnant. Oh, really? What's happened? Well, there was this angel. Hmm. Then there's mum and dad. We never think about mum and dad. They're not named in the Bible. Church tradition says their names were Anne and Joachim. I don't know. But she's got to tell them. And they didn't normally carry out the death penalty for adultery. This could have been considered that, but there was the threat of that. No wonder she had questions. I am grateful for people who've had questions, but they keep going, keep following. This week I went to our prime timers Christmas lunch. That group has more fun than any group in our church. If you are not part of Prime Timers, there's a table out there. Get to be part of it. They are amazing. They are hilarious. They are wonderful. And I sat opposite George and Donna. And George is 96 years young. And he doesn't look it. Whatever he's on, I want it. <laughs> and George is wearing a Purple Heart veteran cap. And he told me about how he'd been in three wars. He also won the Navy Medal of Achievement. And I look at him and I think, George, you've navigated life. You've been hemmed in by some questions along the way. But look at you. You're still trusting Jesus. Thank God for you, George and Donna. And I'm not just saying that because we want to be nice to older folks. Because I'm an older folk. I'm 65. I know I look older. I've had a rough life, baby. But... And I've noticed the way people are talking to me now. I go into a store and they look at me, you know, the nine-year-old behind the counter, and they, they say, hello, hello, how are you? Oh, I hate this. They go, hello, young man. What? I went to a store in England. I love shirts, shirts shirts. You like this? My personal favorite, but that's not important right now. And I open the door of the shirt place, and the guy behind the counter looks at me and goes, hello, sir, looking for something a bit more trendy, are we? I'm like, poof. I am not just saying this to be nice to the elderly. We thank God for those who have weathered the pathway of life. You are precious to us. Never forget that. Number five, and I've got two points with three minutes and 16 seconds to go, so I'm going to talk a bit quick. Number five, submission is a daily choice. Submission is a daily choice. By the way, we, we have the clock thing back there, but hey, if it takes a little longer... You're looking nervous and scared. 
Number five, submission is a daily choice. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. The word there, handmaid, means slave girl. May everything you've said about me come true. Here's the thing. Sometimes when you've got questions, the most important thing is that we submit to God in the midst of the questions. Don't fight him. He knows stuff. He's got the vantage point. Let's not argue. Submission is a daily choice. And then finally, number six, faith will always be needed. It's one of the starkest comments in the story. It says, and then the angel left her. Stop right there, Gabriel. Step away from whatever it is you're going to go to get out of here. Because I've just had this amazing, devastating news, and now you're leaving? Stick around, buddy. And she's alone. But she's not alone. Because here's what I noticed for the first time, I think, in all these years of preaching about Christmas. I noticed that what God did, the angel went, but God gave confirmation to Mary through community. He said, what does that mean? What it means is that the angel went, but then Joseph starts having dreams. And Elizabeth is pregnant. And then the, the shepherds show up on the birthday. In other words, the confirmation came through a community of other people, as well as with angelic revelation. A couple of weeks ago, I was up here, and I started talking to our folks who join us online. And I got a little bit naughty. But I'm going to get a little bit naughty again, so I'm completely unrepentant. If you are watching online because you live at a distance, keep watching online. Thanks for joining us. And if you're watching online because you're nervous about this pandemic thing, you don't need to explain that. We respect your decision-making. And you keep watching online. But if you're watching online because you got out of the habit of church and you like to play golf now, and, and like, like you, sir, you know, watching right now in your Winnie the Pooh pajamas, fascinating fashion choice. If, if, you've, if you're doing this because it's just convenient, I, I, I want to say gently, kindly, come on back. Because there's something beautiful about community. And when the Bible talks about gathering together in Hebrews, it also talks about encouraging one another. And online is great, but the only problem is it's one way. Sometimes as a pastor, you just have to kind of say stuff that people might not like to hear. And well, there you go. I had two couples come up to me last Saturday night and they said, we're here for the first time in 18 months. And last week we tuned in and you got us. And I thought, that's wonderful. And I hope you know it's the Holy Spirit 
confirmation from community. In a moment, we're going to pray together, but I want to let you know what's coming up. I am going to give an opportunity in the next 120 seconds for people in this room and watching online to make a decision to count themselves in now and become followers of Jesus. I'm not talking about just showing up for church on Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm talking about making a decision to follow Christ, accept His forgiveness, begin a life submitted to Him. It, this is a big deal. This is life-altering. I suggest that 20 years from now, some, maybe one or two in this building, will look back to 1054 on a Sunday morning, this Sunday, and they will say, that was the moment. That was the moment I made that choice. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to pray a prayer, which I invite you to use if you'd like to make that choice. Why am I slowing down and stopping? Because this is big. This is big. Holy Spirit, we need you to do the work here. Now let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for this beautiful story, Father. A story of ordinary, an ordinary person suddenly discovering she's part of your purposes and the impossible becomes possible. So work among us in these moments, in this auditorium, people watching at home online. If you want to make that decision, I'm going to pray a prayer. I invite you to whisper this after me. It is a junction moment. It is a first step. It is a decision. If you're ready, here it is. Jesus, I come to you. I turn to you. I want to know you. I ask for your forgiveness. I turn around and want to now go in your direction. I need your help. I need you to rescue me. Thank you that you've done everything that needs to be done on the cross and in your resurrection. I now, at this moment in my own personal history, I make my decision. Let's keep our heads bowed. If you in this auditorium have just made that decision, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple to kind of solidify that. I'm going to ask you, just as I'm looking around only, would you just hold up your hand for a moment so I can see it? And then please put it down again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm now looking over at my left. Raise your hand if you want to make a response to this so I can see you on the right hand side as you face me thank you over there and at the back there as well that is wonderful and over here on my left Jesus by your spirit reveal yourself to each person here 
Those online, you can let us know that you've made that choice. We've got resources to help you. Our prayer team will be here at the end of the service. We have resources that you can take with you to help you in this decision. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because with you, the impossible is possible. And we agree together in Jesus' name. Amen.